Um, Anyway, we've been spending some time going through, um, we've been talking about this whole idea of going back to the basics. And we started it when we were going through 21, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we were talking about prayer and we were talking about the importance of fasting. And for some of you, you did it for the first time. You fasted and you were like, man, I, that, was, that was hard, but it was the hard that made it awesome. And God revealed some things to you and, and changed some things and, um, and grew you in a, in a new way. And, uh, and a couple weeks ago, I was talking about, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we talked about deny yourself and take up your cross daily and then follow him. And then last week, Pastor Tom talked about what is truth. So we've just kind of been in this vein of like, what, what, what does it mean to, to be a follower of Jesus? Let's strip all of, the, all, of the, all of the things away that we consider Christian and let's just get back to the basics. And so a few times a year, we go through a book of the Bible together, and uh, we've gone through James, we've gone through, you know, different books, and so I was like praying about it, and I was like, you know what, I think it would be, how, how cool would it be to, for us to go through a sermon series through the book of Acts together? Um, because here's what I love about the book of Acts, it is the beginning. Talk about going back to the beginning. It is the first 30 years of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about going through a book together again because it, it forces us to be confronted with the entirety of the Bible, not just the parts that we like or that are on our coffee mugs that we are inspired by, but it's sometimes the, the tough things of life. And so um, we're going to be going through that to kind of just reset and look at that. We're going to be going through the book of Acts together. So um, if you've got your Bibles or your YouVersion app, go to, go to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to start today. And uh, as we get started, as you're turning to the book of Acts, I just want to give you a little bit of um, kind of background, some historicity and, uh, and details for those of you who, who maybe don't know much about the writer and who was written for and all that kind of stuff. So the author's name of this book, uh, the book of Acts, is Luke. And Luke is believed to have been a physician um, who traveled with the Apostle Paul some we, we'll, we'll find that out and we'll see different parts of the book of Acts where, where the actual writer is involved in the trip. And so um, it's not known for certain, but the book of Acts is believed to have been written um, as early as like maybe even 60 A.D. Um, some believe a little bit later, but I, I, my, my personal opinion, and for what it's worth, I'm not a Bible scholar, my personal opinion is probably written between 60 and 65 AD due to the f- just kind of abrupt ending you'll find at the end of Acts. It just kind of, it's done. And uh, there's not much talk about anything that happens after Paul's imprisonment. And so that's kind of why I just think that it, it just kind of was written right around the time when Paul was in prison because there's no resolution. There's no like, ah, that's a great ending. It just, and that's, that's, where, that's where we stop. And so 60, 65 AD, some people think a little bit later. Um, Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So um, if you didn't realize this, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are actually part one and part two. It's like the sequel, right? It's, um, it's the sequel of the Gospel of Luke. Um, and essentially, the Gospel of Luke accounts for the words and the acts of Jesus starts out at his, well, his birth and, you know, John the Baptist and all of those things that happened uh, around Jesus' birth and then ends with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And then the book of Acts literally picks up where the gospel of Luke left off. Everything that happened after the ascension of Jesus. And, 
And it's a little bit different because it's not accounting for the words and acts of Jesus. It's accounting for the words and acts of the apostles, the church, the people that were left after Jesus ascended. And uh, it's written to a guy. We believe it's a person. Um, no, nobody necessarily you know, met him, but he's known as Theophilus. And we'll see in Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1. And he actually says, you know, I'm writing this to you, Theophilus, and uh, which actually means friend of God. And so both of these books are written to the same, the same guy. Um, the, the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, was uh, accounts for essentially from 30 A.D. to 60 A.D. So that's why I said just a few minutes ago that it is the first 30 years of the birth of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, there it's full of all the you know, key players, when I say key, I mean, you know, Peter and Paul mostly, you know. Um, it has all the ups and the downs. It has all the victories and the miracles and the exponential growth of the early church and, and how it spread. And it also includes all the persecution and the martyrdom and the trials. So it's the mix of just the reality of where they were trying to figure out how to now do this thing they call church. Um, and we're still trying to do that even today. And so Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 and get into it. Um, would you mind standing with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? I would appreciate that. If you're home, I'd love for you to stand too. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In my former book, the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud Hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, I mean, this is the genesis of the church. It's at this moment when Jesus ascends with his final marching orders to his followers, and they're left deciding how we're now supposed to walk this thing out as they wait for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I pray that you would use and work your word into our hearts, that it wouldn't just change our minds, but it would change our lives as we apply it to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So uh, 
I love, I love the book of Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts, um, it is, it's, a, it's a powerful book full of, of, of just these victories and defeats all in the midst of it. And in verse 1, he says, in, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, and then he, there's this word, began to do and to teach. It's interesting to me that Luke says that his first book was all about what Jesus began to do. Isn't that interesting? That Luke wants us and them and Theophilus to understand that what Jesus did when he walked on the earth was only the beginning. It was only the beginning of, of what he came to accomplish. There's this, there's this beauty, and I, and I want us to grasp it right off the bat in the book of Acts, that like it, we don't look back to the gospel of Luke and, and, and the time when Jesus walked on earth and say, man, I wish I lived then. Wow, wouldn't it have been cool to walk with Jesus? No, that was just the beginning. And what we walk in now, what we have available as resources in our lives right now through the Holy Spirit is, is far greater than what they were able to walk with. This is the beauty. It was literally just the beginning of what Jesus came to accomplish. I want to remind us, and I've said this a few weeks ago, that Jesus is not some inspirational dead guy that we like to talk about. He's not some, some guy we like to sing songs about. He's not some dead God that we like to, you know, worship or, or, or venerate. He is the living king, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And, and when, we, when we talk about being followers of Jesus, when we talk about you know, being born again and, and, and being disciples of Christ, we don't look back and say, man, I wish I lived back then in 30 A.D., we realize that that was just the beginning of what Christ came to accomplish through them and now through us. That we are to carry what, out what Jesus began to do. Isn't that awesome? It's a cool thing. And so, and I'm not talking about what, what Jesus taught. I'm not talking about, well, we just need to teach what Jesus taught. If I could just, you know, memorize the, the Word of God, and then if I could just teach other people that, that's good. It's not just about having good theology, though, and it, that is important. We should have good theology. It's not just about having good morals and about not smoke, drink, or chewing, and going to girls who do. It's not just about being a nice person. It is also about doing what it is that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to come to understand as we go through the book of Acts is that, um, that we're only able to do what we are doing through the empowerment of something that God calls the Holy Spirit. That's it. And I'm going to, if, I, if I'm going to drop the mic and walk off the stage right now, that would be it. Like, you, your only hope is the Holy Spirit. Like, you, you got nothing. I mean, I know you're a nice person, at least behind closed doors, right? I mean, at least, at least in front of other people. But I, I, but I just want you to understand, like, your only hope is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was and is the greatest need of the church. And this isn't just my opinion, and this isn't just, oh, yeah, okay, there's the Holy Spirit church. Yeah, there's a charismatic church, so that's why we're talking about it. No, I, this is Jesus' opinion. This isn't just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, okay, you guys are all into the Holy Spirit. No, no, Jesus literally says in verse 4, let's read it. He says in verse 4 and 5, he says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's like, guys, wait for it. Wait for it. What if we learned to linger? What if we learned the power of waiting, of lingering, waiting? The old, old timers used to call it tarrying, right, for the Holy Spirit. Like waiting on the Holy Spirit. As I read this in verses 4 and 5, because we've talked about these disciples and how they're kind of a ragtag bunch and they really didn't get it and they missed a whole bunch of stuff as Jesus, as they were walking with Jesus. I'm sure one of them were asked, like, how exactly long are we supposed to wait? Like, how, you say a few days, but how many days is a few days? And Jesus, I bet, was just like, you know, just, could you just not, could you just stay? Just don't leave, just stay here. Could you just do what I'm asking you to do, right? Like, okay, well, what should we do in the meantime? I don't know, pray, repent, fast, do things, like stuff, good stuff like that. Like, just prepare, get your heart clean. I'm working on some big stuff right now, right? And he's like, just wait here, do this. Do what only you can do so that I can do what only I can do. And then in verse 6, he says, this is why I, 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 I love these guys, and I bet Jesus was completely frustrated with them. Verse 6, he says, then they gathered around him and they asked him. I mean, literally, these are the, the last words of Jesus. And they gathered around, they're like, Lord, um, so just to make it clear, when you're like, hey, wait here, um, are, at this time, are you going to be restoring the kingdom to Israel? I mean, like Jesus, if you, you could read this for yourself, in verses 1 through 11, Jesus has two more sentences that he is going to say verbally to this group of guys before he goes up to heaven, like before he ascends. He's got two more sentences, and these guys are like, okay, so um, when you talk about waiting, we're waiting for the overthrow, right? Like the rebellion, or like, are the Uzis going to be coming in soon? Like, is it it's going to be happening here? I mean, you, when you say wait here, that's like code for angel armies are coming for reinforcements, right? Is that what's... I got you, Jesus. I got you. Jesus is probably like, oh my me, right? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, you guys, still, I got two more sentences, and I'm beating me up, Scotty, and you guys are still, like, not getting this thing. Like, you're still like, okay, so, uh, like, the, uh, the fight's going to be coming here soon, Jesus. And he's like, guys, what are you talking about? I got two more sentences here. And the question, that the thing that I, that I struggle with is, are we not tempted to do the very same thing? It would be like if Jesus, let's just bring it current, right? Like not, not, not 30 AD, but like 2021. Jesus is here, and we are that ragtag, dense group of people that aren't necessarily getting it. And Jesus has got two sentences, and he says, hey, guys, look, wait here in Biddeford. Because um, uh, for the gift that my father has promised and... Uh, and uh, I'm gonna, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's coming. It, but you need to wait here in Biddeford. It would be like us saying, okay, Jesus, I get it. But is now the time that you're going to be overthrowing the Biden administration? I know we can't relate. But like, is now, is now, is now the time that, that, that you're finally going to do the thing that, that you should be doing with the Republicans and Democrats? Is that, this is going to happen? That's what we're talking about. When you say wait here, right? That's what you're talking about? 
Jesus, oh my me. He says, Jesus answers them with a non-answer because they're missing the point in verse 7. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. What? that even mean, right? It means that, yes, you know what? There will come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's not your job to usher that in, to make it happen, to persuade, to manipulate, to do it by force. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. They just kind of like, guys, look, you're missing the point. I got two sentences here, and then it's like, I'm out. Like, listen up here. This is a big deal, okay? Jesus gives them his final words here, and this is why it's so important for us. Verse 8 is actually Jesus' final words before he ascends to heaven. Most people think that it's the Great Commission, right? We read in Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. But verse 8, like verse 8 is actually the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Isn't that cool? And it is all about what is coming next. And it's recorded for us right here. Verse 8. It says, but, 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 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Jesus' last words. And what I wrestle with, and I think that what we should always be wrestling with is that shouldn't Jesus' last command be our first concern? Because in one sentence, he talks about the power, and he talks about the purpose of the power, and he talks about the plan moving forward. The first one is this. He talks about the power. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I want you to think this through. The Holy Spirit says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and brought forth Jesus into the world. So the Holy Spirit was needed to move forward. Um, The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in his baptism and ushered in his full-time ministry. Um, So in other words, the Holy Spirit was needed to move forward. The disciples were asked to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was needed to move forward. We see these guys um, before Pentecost, before they received the Holy Spirit, it was very hard for them to do easy things. And after they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was very easy for them to do hard things. So think about this. If Mary needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to descend at his baptism, if the 12 disciples needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then what makes us think that God wants to deal with us any differently? What makes us think that like, oh yeah, I mean, the Holy Spirit's cool and all that. We can talk about it and pray and think and, and, and study it and all that kind of stuff. But 
Can I just remind you, church, that you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. We need the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The church's greatest need is the power of the Holy Spirit. Literally, he's talking to these guys who don't get it. They're like, so the, the, the fight's coming? I uh, got a gun, and uh, I'm pretty sure Peter still has that sword, right, that he cut the guy's ear off with. He could still use that, right? And Jesus is literally like, okay, find me. This is what is going, you're going to receive power. The power that you're seeking after, that you're grasping for is, you're going you're to receive it, but it's for a different purpose. You're going to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And it was, it was the greatest need for them back then, and it is the greatest need for us right now. A.W. Tozer, you may have read some of his books. He wrote, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. And then he said, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. Isn't that interesting? See, Tozer was, was faced in watching a church, much like us, right, that, that had a form of godliness but lacking the power. He was watching a church that had settled for a rockin' good Sunday church service and it failed to be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit the other 167 hours of the week. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, the Church of Jesus Christ in America today may have really great music and decent preaching, at least in some churches, decent programs, right? You could even have effective ministries. But can I just remind you, please do not mistake any of that junk for the Holy Spirit. Really? We can have, we can have rock and band up here, man. We can like string it out. I can get you laughing and rolling and crying all in the same moment. Like that was a great speech. It could be inspirational, or maybe you leave feeling guilty. I don't know, whatever that is. But please do not mistake it for the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It is a necessity. And when, we, when, we, when we're looking at the state of the American church right now, it's a little scary as I'm reading the prophetic words of Tozer that he was looking at and that we're currently looking at. Where if the Holy Spirit was removed, that 95% would go on and, and, and things would just kind of keep clicking along. But when the Holy Spirit is present, things change. So what happens when the Holy Spirit isn't present? Without, without the power of the Holy Spirit, um, there is no conviction of sin. I, I didn't say guilt or shame. I, I could preach, the, I could preach and, and talk and, and, and you could leave feeling guilty of your sin and you could leave feeling shameful of your sin, but it is the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of your sin, which is very different than guilt and shame. Let me read it for you. James, John chapter 16, verse 8. It says, when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. There is this 
power that the Holy Spirit speaks into our life when we realize the ugliness of our sin is exposed. But it's not for shame and guilt and condemnation. It is for freedom. When the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, it is not to just poke and to point and to shame you with a crooked finger in your chest saying, see how dirty you are. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, it says, let me bring you up to a place of cleanliness. I want to bring you to a place of freedom. And, and, and here's what I would say. If you are in a place where you are just fine continuing going on sinning, then you may have not encountered the Holy Spirit in a while. Because there's something that happens when the Holy Spirit convicts us that we automatically stop trying to manage our sin or feel bad about it, but we find freedom from it when we're confronted with the Holy Spirit. So stop trying to manage your sin or feel bad about it. Jesus didn't die so that you could feel bad about your sin. He died so that, so that the Holy Spirit could come and bring freedom and conviction into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. If, if the, the, without the power of the Holy Spirit, there would be no conversions. Conversions. Listen, um, nobody talked me into the kingdom of God. Now, you're like, well, weren't you, like, maybe you were in a church service or, like, your grandmother, somebody that maybe kind of, like, told you about the gospel and they kind of talked you into, no, 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 no. If you can be talked into the kingdom of God, then you can be talked out of the kingdom of God. We come into the kingdom of God through being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. You may be under the listening ear of the gospel being preached. You may be prayed into, you know, it by a, a loved one, a, a wife or a husband or a grandmother or a friend that literally helped you and brought you to that place, but you come into the kingdom of God not by the manipulation of words of men. You come into the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are, we are wooed to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. You're not just talked into it. You're drawn by the power of God. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, this is like the first sermon, Acts chapter 2, we're going to get to it here in a couple weeks, right? It says, they were cut to the heart. I love that term, cut to the heart, because if you've ever listened or heard the gospel and all of a sudden you realize that those words are not just words or inspiration, that God is working in it, that there, there's that you're cut to the heart. It's that understanding that like the word of God is literally can cut and divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And it says they were cut to the heart. And look at their response. They said to Peter, what shall we do? Can I just tell you that was, that was literally word for word what my response was to my youth pastor back in the summer before my ninth grade year, when she was telling me about Jesus and all these great things about Jesus, how she loved to pray to Jesus all day, all morning long. I was like, this sounds horrible, right? What did you do, right? That would be my thing, because my, my idea of prayer was like, you know, 10 Our Fathers and three Al Marys and a Glory Be. And I was like, please, can I be done? Like, let me out of this jail cell. And she's like, no, oh, I love it. Oh, I'm just spending time with Jesus. I'm like, you're crazy. Finally, I get to the point where I'm like, if any of this is true, then what shall I do? because I want it, because I want to have that relationship. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that feels like, but I'm telling you, uh, what, what do I need to do? And she just prayed with me, 
and uh, came to this place of surrendering my life to Christ. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be no conversions. The Holy Spirit convinces us of the power of Christ. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no spiritual growth. You realize that? John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he says this, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he ends it with this drop the mic statement. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What? We have no power from God unless we live in the persuasion that we have none of our own. Let me say that again. We have no power from God unless we live in the persuasion that we have none of our own. Because it is our pride that, imp- that it will impede spiritual growth. It is our pride that will keep us puffed up thinking that we are doing a really good job. Like I'm a really nice guy and people like me and I'm doing all the right things and I'm not doing all the bad things. And it is pride that will puff you up and actually create a barrier for the Holy Spirit to be able to grow you spiritually. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I could do a lot of good things here, right? He's like, no, if you want to actually grow, if you want to see fruit in your life, it only comes through the humility of realizing that none of it is on your own. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, secondly, the purpose of the power. What does Jesus say about the purpose of the power? It's to witness. Two things. What's a witness? A witness is a person who says, I know this to be true. If you think about it, even in the court of law, a witness is somebody who says, I know this to be true. In the court of law, you cannot testify about something that you heard somebody else say. You can't go on the stand and be like, I heard Emily say that she heard from Becky, that Becky said that she heard from that, that person that this is what happened. So I'm testifying that this is true. You, you can't do it. You can't do it. They'd be like, that's hearsay. That's, that's the court word because word, I watch movies. And so They're like, no, that's hearsay. You can't do that. You have to know this to be true. In other words, you can't just um, go before the court based on what you heard, but what you've seen, the deeds that you've seen. It's not enough to just know the truth. The second thing is, is that you have to tell others what you've seen. Do you realize that's what a witness is? It's not just a person who sits with their arms folded in their own little closet knowing the truth. A witness is somebody that says, I know this to be true, and this is my testimony. That's what a witness is. I know this to be true, and, and I'm going to tell you what I've seen. Now, here's something interesting. This word, if you look in the Greek for witness, um, is actually where we get the English word for martyr. Same word. Same word. Our English word for martyr is defined as this. One who voluntarily suffers death as the penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce some truth. So hold on. Now, this is what I was wrestling with this week, so I'm going to bring you into it. So, so someone who says, I know this to be true, and someone who voluntarily suffers death for saying, I know this to be true, are kind of the same word? The same thing? But like What we find is that a witness should always be willing to count the cost for their testimony that a witness had to be ready to become a martyr. Hmm. And this falls flat on us as Christians. That's why this kind of like silence. 
Because in American Christianity, um, we feel like we're entitled to our faith without risk, without persecution. In fact, if there is any persecution, we just, we're up in arms. Like, this is crazy. Why would we ever have to deal with this? Because as an American Christian, when you become a Christian, like, you may suffer sideways sneers or um, political kind of like innuendos and things like that, but certainly not the risk of torture and death. Yet. So martyrdom is not made through persecution. It is only revealed through persecution. I'm going to say that again. You should write it down because it kind of rocked me this week. Martyrdom is not made through persecution. It is revealed through persecution. Church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And this world is not going to change by the criticism of it or the conformity to it. It only is changed not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I mean, we just got started. This is like 1 through 11, man. Like, come on. Like, I'm a little worried how long this is going to take. So we may have to kind of like get through because there's like a lot of chapters here. But like this is, this is the beginning. This is the genesis. I hope that it is creating um, something on the inside of you, a desire for this Holy Spirit that only came into existence here in this moment this baptism that, that came into existence in this moment is what I mean to say. Verse 9 through 11 says this, After he said this, he was taken up for their, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky. I love this because they're still kind of like, what's going on here, dude? Right? Is taken up into the sky when suddenly two men dressed in white stood by them. And this is what it says in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? What a great question. But don't we do the exact same thing? When's Jesus going to come back? When's he going to fix all this? When's he going to take care of this political issue? When's he going to, when's he going to do this? When's he going to heal this? When's he going to change this? And we um, are intently looking up at the sky, trying to see where God is, not realizing that the beauty of the, the book of Acts, the beauty of the birth of, ch- of the church is this realization that God is sending you that he is equipping you to go and to be and to become and to be witnesses in your home, in your community, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. That's the beauty. He's like, I'm going to make you witnesses, and here's the plan. It's going to be first starting in Jerusalem. That's where you're at because I asked you to stay here until you receive it. And then it's going to spread into Judea and, and Samaria and then to the uttermost ends of the earth. That's how this thing goes. It starts in your home and then your community and then the world. And God has not changed his mind. That the power that was given to them is now given to us. That the, 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 the purpose that was given to them is now given to us. That the plan that was given to them is now given to us. And so, what must we do? What must we do? I think one of the problems that we've, we've created going back to the basics here, going back to the beginning. One of the problems that we've created in the church, specifically in charismatic churches, I'm just going to own it, is that we've created this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be a one-and-done, one-off experience. Kind of like the vaccine. Did you get it? Good. 
You got your card? Got it. You got that taken care of? We got two vaccines? What? I don't know. I thought it was only one. But okay. You know, I mean, like, we get into this place where it's like, did you get that thing? Did you get it covered? You got the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Good. Great. Good. The problem is, is that what, it's not what we find in the book of Acts. We find a group of people that get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then they get filled again and again. And they seem like a little bit of junkies. I mean, they just, Acts chapter 4, the whole place is shaken. They get filled with the Holy Spirit again. Like, they just, nobody told them that it was a one-and-done, one-off experience after salvation. They just were like, oh, there's the Holy Spirit, and we can get a bunch of it? I'll take more. Okay. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to give me boldness, going to help as, I, as, I, as I'm ministering, as I'm a, a martyr, possibly, for most of these guys. A witness, at least. Say, I know that I know that I know that I know that I know this to be true. Ephesians 5.18, Paul writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this word is written in, the, in this tense that means like to be filled and to be continually being filled. In other words, stay filled because y'all leak. That's like the southern version of that. Stay filled because you, you leak. Be continually being filled. In other words, the supply that you got 10 years ago is not enough. Like you need to, to seek continually the Holy Spirit today. We are in a constant need of fresh power, fresh anointing, not just from then or for there. It is for now. And so how do I experience that? What does that even look like? I think sometimes we make it harder than it really needs to be. I think it was many times where we look at the Holy Spirit showing up. It was in the upper room as they were in one accord praying. It shows up in Acts chapter 4 where they're together and they're praying. And all of a sudden, literally, it says there was like an earthquake, the sound of mighty wind. There were tongues of fire. I don't know what that means, but there were tongues of fire. God just shows up when people gather together and pray. And so I wonder, maybe today, before we leave this place, before we kind of go on and go grab our breakfast and all of those things, but that we would just come to this place of, Jesus, I desperately need your Holy Spirit. It was the greatest need back then, and it's the greatest need now, and it's the greatest need literally this morning. It is the greatest need I have in my life. I need a fresh in filling, a fresh touch, an overflow of your spirit in my life because I got stuff going on. I got things, I've got people, I've got decisions to make. And so Jesus, it's not a one and done thing. It's an everyday dependence on you. And so maybe you just get into a place of just surrender today. Maybe you just kind of, you know what, Jesus, I need you today. I've been, I've been coasting for a while and I've been trying to just kind of do this thing on my own and I realize that I desperately need a touch from you. And so Jesus, right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill, fill, fill to overflowing. Every person that is open, willing, and asking for it, I pray for a fresh and filling, not just for what was or what is to come, but that you are the God who was and is and is to come. 
So Jesus, I pray for your fresh and filling over us today. Lord, have your way in our life and the things that we've brought in here, the decisions that we have to make, the, 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 the diagnosis that we just are walking in. Jesus, I pray that you are more than enough and we are desperate, desperate, desperate for you. And I repent for trying to do it any other way. We need you to move forward. We need you to walk in integrity. We need you to be able to bring healing and deliverance and miracles. We need you and it is not because of anything that I own. It is only because of what you have. So Jesus, we thank you. We ask that you would, that we would go in the power of the Spirit of God. And as we walk out these doors and stupid meets us like a smack in the face, I pray that we would be seeking after you, God. Give me the words to speak. Give me, give me the wisdom in this moment. Help me to know to go left or right what decision I should make. God, I pray that you would lead me, guide me, that I would deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow you, not just as a theoretical thing that Christians do, but as a, as a Sunday morning, April 25th, at 9.15 in the morning, Jesus, that I would follow you and be desperate for you all the days of my life. So fill us, Jesus. We need you. Fill us, Holy Spirit. We need you. You haven't changed your mind. So Lord, we surrender to you. We, we ask for a fresh and filling. Of Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. If you have a prayer need in any area of your life, we've got a prayer team right over here. Um, I don't want you to leave this place without taking a moment to just ask for prayer. Ask for that they would love to pray God into your situation. I'll be right back in our Connect Corner. I would love to meet you. If this is your first time here, greet you personally. God bless you. Go in the power of the Spirit.